It's the same power. Let that sink in for a moment. We sing these songs and they have a sermon in them in and of themselves. It's the same power. The power that rose Jesus from the grave is in you if you are born again today. You're not waiting for eternal life. You already have eternal life. You're waiting for a new body to put it in. It's the promise of God. The same power. Resurrection power. Last Sunday, we covered the first three of what we believe and why. Does it matter what you believe? Yes, it does. The first one last week we covered was, and it is the foundation to all the other five. And by the way, there are more than six. I'm just going to lay a foundation with these six. The first, what we believe in why is all Scripture is God-breathed. And when I say that, I mean Genesis to Revelation. We believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, the authority of Scripture, the power of God's Word. That what I hold in my hand is the only physical source of absolute truth. It is not man's writing about God. It is God's Word delivered through men who were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke God's authority and had it written down. Number two, Jesus was born of a virgin. Well, how would I know that? Because of number one. Because the Scripture reveals Jesus was born of a virgin. He is the Son of God. Number three, the deity of Christ. Not only is He the Son of God, but He is God with skin on Him. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, filled with grace and truth. All three of these truths are under attack in our culture. That's really the reason I've decided to do this series. All three of these truths that I just said, all scriptures God breathed, Jesus was born of a virgin, the deity of Christ, they're all under attack in our culture. And even in the church, even in the church, I kind of get it that it's under attack in the culture because why would the world live under the authority of the Word, which they have rejected. But I don't understand why the church is struggling. I don't. We are at war. It's a spiritual war, and the truth is under attack. It's, again, I want to say it one more time. The world is going to do what the world is going to do. They're living out their nature because they don't have the Word. They don't have the truth. The problem is when the church wants to join them, join the world. Let me ask you a huge question that'll kind of frame where we're going today. If there is a spiritual war against these truths, and it's happening inside the church, not just outside the church, is this, are we living in the time is this the great apostasy, the rebellion, the falling away that the apostle Paul prophesied about in the book of Thessalonians? Paul says that before Jesus returns, before the Antichrist is revealed, something will happen in the church. 
And I'm going to ask you a question before I read it. Are you and I living in that time today? Not again, let me, let me make it clear. This is not the world rebelling against God. This is not the world turning away from God. You can't turn away from that which you have never faced. It's the church turning away. The church doing it. 2 Thessalonians 2.3. Is this our generation? Are we living in this time? Don't be fooled by what they say. For that day. Now if you read the context, that day is the return of Christ. Don't be fooled by what they say, for that day will not come. Jesus' return will not come until something happens, until there's a great rebellion against God. The New American Standard calls it an apostasy, a falling away. That day will not come until there's a great rebellion, apostasy, falling away, a great rebellion against God, and number two, And the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, will be revealed. The one who brings destruction. See, when he comes, the countdown to the end has begun. Destruction is coming. When the Antichrist comes, you can count it down. Destruction will follow him. Verse 4. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. Are we living in this time? Are we the generation watching the fulfillment of the Apostle Paul's prophecy? In the last days, when the Antichrist secretly begins to rise... Notice the phrase, in the last days, when the Antichrist secretly, he hasn't been revealed to who he is yet, when he secretly begins his rise, there will be a great rebellion around the world, including inside the organized church. And that lawlessness will make way for the Antichrist to take his place in biblical prophecy. What is rebellion? There's a great rebellion, an apostasy. What is it? It's lawlessness. It is the rejection of a single source of truth and authority. It's lawlessness. He's called the man of lawlessness, the antichrist, because he's against God. He's against God's truth, against God's laws, against God's sovereignty. In fact, Satan, his name means adversary. That's what he does. That's who he is. Lawlessness against truth. And I want you to understand truth is not just a set of ideas. This lawlessness is not against a a set of principles or a set of ideas or ideals. Truth is a person. It's a a person. And that person has authority. And and I told you last week, I, I don't struggle with this being over me. That it's the authority over me. I put myself under this. I don't ask this to adjust to me. I adjust to it. I acknowledge its sovereignty, its authority, its power, its author. I acknowledge the great rebellion rejects all of those. It rejects the authority of God's word. It rejects truth itself. So what is the best way to stand up during the apostasy? 
If we're living, if we are, if we're living in that generation, the apostasy, the rebellion, the falling away, what's the best way to stand up? Know the truth. If the apostasy is the rejection of truth, then know the truth, hold on to the truth, and the apostasy cannot come to you. Know the truth. Today we'll go into the second three truths, the basics of our faith, what we believe and why. Preparing why for the spiritual battle. Because the Bible says that the spiritual battle, many will fall away. The love, Jesus himself said, in the last days, the love of most will grow cold, but those who endure to the end will be saved. The love of most, the love of many will grow cold. Something happens. There's a turning away. Before I get into the details of these next three truths, I want to once again define the concept of absolute truth. The world is telling us today that nothing is absolutely true. There's no one source of truth. Everything is relative. Everything is dependent upon circumstances. Everything's what might have been true, example, the world wants to tell us what might have been true a thousand years ago can't be true today. Well, that's not the definition of truth. Truth means if it was true a thousand years ago, it's still true today. Is there absolute truth. I'm absolutely convinced, and I can't do it for you. I can only do it for me. I'm absolutely convinced that what I hold in my hand is the only physical source of absolute truth on this planet, that God has given us His Word. The Christian faith does not accept the teaching of relevant truth concerning the Holy Scripture. We believe in absolute truth and authority that comes from God's Word. We believe that truth is not only a set of guidelines or principles that we are to live our life by, but truth is a person. You cannot know the truth until you know this person. Truth is authority. You must know this person and submit yourself to the authority of this person, Jesus Christ. So in John 14, 6, just one verse, one verse, and I'm going to ask you before I read it, what are you going to do with this verse? What are you going to do with John 14, 6? Jesus said, I am the way. That's a singular statement. Not a way, not one of many ways. I am the way, singular. I am the truth, singular. He's the source of the way. He's the source of the truth. And he says, I am the life. He is the source of life. He's not just some outside fringe. He is where it comes from. He is the, the way life comes, the way truth comes. He is it. He is everything. No one can come to the Father except through me. Who is he? Your eternity will be determined by how you answer the question, who is he? Do you know him as the truth? Do you know him as the single source of authority? I didn't ask you, did you know about him? Do you know him? We believe Jesus is telling us the truth in that verse. In fact, we believe this verse is the very word of God. John 14, 6. The very word of God. Truth is not just about right and wrong, but truth, listen carefully, truth is about freedom. 
truth is about freedom. But truth, true freedom, I'm talking about real freedom. Truth has the, uh, the authority, truth has the authority to set you free. To break the bondage of sin and death. Truth has the authority to set you free. Let me give you an example. Truth has the authority to set you free from fear. Why? Because there's a resurrection of the dead. Truth has the authority to set you free from the idea that you're going to stand before God on judgment day. Truth has the ability, the power to set you free, to make peace with God. But it must come by the truth. I hear people all the time talking about when that, 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 while I may be the one who looks forward to that loud shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet blast of God, many people think about that day in great fear, trepidation. Why? Because they fear God's judgment. Truth can set you free from fear. It has the authority. We live in perhaps the freest nation that has ever existed on the earth. This year, our nation celebrates its birthday. This week, our nation celebrates its, its birthday, July 4th, our Independence Day. We live in what is known. People are fleeing here from places where freedom is hard. Freedom's hard to come by. But I'll tell you, it's a false freedom unless we understand and accept the truth. See, our, our freedom, our true freedom is not based on any form of government called democracy, but it's based on truth. Remember the words of the Declaration of Independence? Our founding fathers knew about this freedom that truth brings. Here's what they said. We hold these truths. You understand what they're thinking? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. They are endowed by government? No, that's not what it says. They're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. True freedom comes from the creator, not from government. The truth can set you free from the fear of sin, the fear of death, the fear of hell, the fear of judgment, the fear of the tribulation, the fear of anything. Truth can set you free. Let me illustrate. How can you say that you are free? Let's say that you're in the room today and you are not a believer. You're here today because you're curious or you're with somebody who comes and you're just along for the ride. I'm going to ask you a personal question. How can you today as an American, July 4th week, say that you are free when out in front of you, out in front of you, inevitably out in front of you is an empty grave and your name is on that grave and on the other side of that grave is hell. And you're free? No, you're not. You're a slave. You're a walking dead person, lost. It's a false freedom. You see, truth has a power. Truth has an authority. So we proclaim this truth because it sets you free from the bondage of sin and death. It takes that grave in the future and gives you a resurrection. It takes that hell and gives you a heaven. But it only comes by truth. Only by truth. In John 8, 31, Jesus is going to explain. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if. It's a conditional statement. 
You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. What, what happens in the last days in Paul's prophecy? They, they turn away from his teachings, right? There's an apostasy, a rebellion, a falling away. You're truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will do what? It'll set you free. But we are descendants of Abraham. So he's saying that to the Jewish people, and they say, but we are descendants of Abraham. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you'll set us free? We are Americans. How can you say that we need anything to set us free? We're the, we're the world's superpower. We're the freest nation on earth. Are you free? I'm talking about really free. Future, into eternity free. I'm not talking about in the next week free. I'm talking about into eternity free. Are you free from the fear of sin and the fear of death and the fear of judgment and the fear of heaven and hell? Are you free? This is a spiritual battle and we have all sinned and that makes us slaves to sin and sin always equals death. Today, I want to proclaim the truth that will set people free. Freed from the tyranny of sin and death, wrath and judgment. This is true freedom, but it is based on truth, the authority of truth. Here we go. Number four, what we believe and why, number four, forgiveness only by the blood of Christ. So let me take a test. How many of you in the room today have sinned against God at some point in your life? Raise your hand. Woo! This is a rough audience. <laughs> so how many sins did Adam and Eve have when they were forced from God's presence? One. One. They had to leave. They lost communion, fellowship with God. One. Why? Because God's holy. He's righteous. And sin cannot be in His presence. So they had to leave. I'll take it a step further. Now, I'm going to ask you to hold up your hand if this applies to you. How many of you have ever told a lie? Just one. Raise your hand. Uh, there's two or three of you that have just lied by not raising your hand. <laughs> or you're lazy. I don't know which one. Let's do one more. How many have you ever taken something that was not yours? You've taken it. You've stolen it. Okay. So I can pretty much surmise by your hands that I am surrounded today by a bunch of lying thieves. <laughs> and me being one of them. You see, you don't have to try to sin, do you? Now, I've often used the illustration, nobody ever gets up in the morning, looks over at their wife, their husband, and says, honey, I'm going to try to see if I can sin today. I'll see if I can pull it off. I'll tell you tonight when I get home, if it works. You don't have to do that. Why? It's our nature. Just let go. In fact, let me just say, just let go of this. Just let go. You don't have to work at Just let go. In John 8, 34, 
Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave. He's a slave to sin. I've got some good news today. It's wrapped up in this fourth, what we believe. An incredible truth called the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness of sins. Listen, here it is. There is forgiveness of sins through the blood of Christ, and it's free and within your reach. And we, anyone who sins, and we've all raised our hands, we all know we're sinners. There's forgiveness. It's called grace. And grace is a gift, a free gift to those who believe the truth and receive the truth. Now, listen, you have to believe the truth, but you must also receive the truth. And you and I must receive the truth. Listen, there's where a lot of church people struggle. You must believe the truth, but you must receive the truth by faith. You receive it by faith. Let me give you a picture. Let me give you a way to illustrate. If I were to come to each one of you individually today, individually, just me and you, I come to each one of you individually, and here's what I say. I have... And all expense paid one month long vacation in Hawaii for you. It includes your transportation, your airfare, your hotel, your lodging, your meals, every expense you could possibly imagine. All for 30 days for you. Your name is on the envelope. The envelope is on my desk in the office. You need to pick it up after church. Now, I'm going to ask you. Me saying that to you, are you going to Hawaii? No, you're not going to Hawaii. You know about a guy who's offered trips to Hawaii, but you're not going to Hawaii yet. You're going to have to believe that I'm legitimate and that I have not lost my mind. You're going to have to believe that I'm real and that I have the ability to send you to Hawaii and pay that much money. And then you're going to have to believe that I am legitimate. And then you're going to have to go to my office. And you're going to have to go in my office. And you're going to have to take that envelope. And then you're going to have to go to the airport on that day at that certain time. And you're going to have to get on that airplane. Now, you might say that I have faith in Terry when he offered me that trip. But you never went to my office and got the envelope. Do you have faith in me? No, you don't. You're just a talker. You're a talker. You got, if you have faith in me, you'll go get the envelope. And you'll go to the airport, and you'll get on the airplane, and you'll fly there, and you'll get to the hotel and say, Terry's got that covered. And you'll go to the restaurant and say, Terry's got that covered. And you'll do that for 30 days. Why? Because you believed and you received a gift. Now, did you work for the gift? No. I gave you the gift. Now, that's the end of this illustration. Nobody's going to Hawaii. Okay? But now I'm going to tell you the spiritual side. You have an all-expense-paid trip forever to heaven. It's paid in full. You can't work for it. You can't buy it. Your name is on it. But you must receive it by faith. You must trust that he is able to finish what he started. It's yours. So I'm going to ask you, 
Have you received this gift? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6. We read it during communion time. So we praise God for his glorious grace. Now, you haven't got on the airplane yet, and you haven't gone anywhere in this analogy. But I, I know that the promise of heaven remains in front of me. So we praise God for this glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness, so rich in grace, that he purchased our freedom, our, our ticket to glory. He purchased it with what? What did he cost? What did he cost him? With the blood of his son. This is one expensive ticket. He purchased our freedom. Are you free? You are not free if in front of you somewhere is a grave, and on the side of grave is hell. Separation in outer darkness where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Mock that line if you want to. Mock it. I have people all the time say, when I bring up hell or bring up God's description of hell, they want to mock it as if somehow or another mocking it will make it disappear. Go ahead. You're a slave. You're a slave. He has purchased our freedom with the blood of his son. And what did that do? What did that do? And he forgave our sins. There is no heaven. There is no presence of God until he forgives your sins. And the only way you can get your sins forgiven is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. God purchased our freedom with the blood of his only son. The only price sufficient to redeem us was the blood of his son. There are only two types of people on earth. There are only two types of people in this room right now. Hear the truth today. In this room, there's two types. You are under God's grace. And I hope that applies to all of you. But in reality, probably not. You're under God's grace or you're under God's judgment and his wrath. You are either forgiven or unforgiven. In the last day, there will be forgiven and unforgiven. People ask me all the time, preacher, what does it mean when it says the Bible talks about the unpardonable sin? What does that mean? Because I'm a little worried that what if I've already done it? Then I have no chance. I have no hope. What if it's unpardonable, unforgivable sin? What is it? I want to tell you, I want to make it really simple. The unpardonable sin is you or I, anybody walks up and stands before God on the last day. You stand before God in your sin. And you're still in your sin. You're, you're still sinful. That he sent his only son. He paid an incredible price to for, forgive your sin, to make your sins, though they be as scarlet, they're going to be as white as snow. You're going to be forgiven and free. And the Holy Spirit revealed that to you through the truth. But you rejected the Holy Spirit. You rejected it. You got distracted. You said, well, I'll get back to you on that. You stand before God with sin still on you, unforgiven. You blaspheme the Holy Spirit. You know what you did to the Holy Spirit? I don't believe you. You don't believe God? When he said that I've set you free. But you must receive it by faith. You must receive it by faith. Which means I believe you. You place yourself under the authority of God. Forgiveness of sins. Makes peace 
with God. Removes his wrath because his wrath and judgment has already been poured out on his only begotten son. That which was destined to be mine, he gave to his son. He gave to his only begotten son. What? What? Isaiah prophesies he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought me peace was upon him. And by his wounds, I have been healed. We can't earn forgiveness. When I gave you the illustration of the ticket to Hawaii, you you didn't have to do anything to get the ticket, did you? I'm not offering you a ticket to Hawaii because you did something nice. No, it's a gift. It's there. It's got your name on it. But you have to receive it by faith. That's not earning it. You can't earn it. You can't pay for it. That's why it's called grace. It's a gift from God. We can only receive it by faith, believing the truth. But I must tell you the truth. There is no forgiveness of sins without the blood of Christ. If you come before God unforgiven, if you come before God without the blood of Christ covering you, you are lost, forever lost. Hebrews 9.22 says, in fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with what? Blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And the blood of an animal won't work. It must be the blood of the Son of God. You don't have to travel very far in the Scriptures to find out that blood is a big deal to God. Leviticus says that the life of a person or an animal is in the blood. God was the first to shed blood. God killed an animal to provide a covering for the sin of man in the garden. Blood would be the covering of man's sin. In fact, it's kind of interesting. It's in that place, in that time, when man took off a second, took on a second skin. Their first skin, originally there was no shame. But then they took on a second skin, and that skin was provided by God at the sacrifice of an animal They put on an animal's skin, a second skin to cover them. Cain and Abel are a picture of this choice of man. If you know the story of Cain and Abel, Abel knew the truth. You must be covered by the blood to enter the presence and favor of God. Blood brings the favor of God when it comes to a sacrifice. But Cain lived in apostasy. Cain lived in rebellion. He thought he could bring a substitute and still enter into the presence of God. And God's grace, and here's what's amazing about this story to me, is God's grace and mercy told Cain the truth, that you'll need to adjust to the truth. The truth does not adjust to you. You have to adjust to the truth. Let's see how Cain does. Genesis 4-2. Later, she, Eve, gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. She'd already had Cain. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Cain presented some of his crops. It's like a grain offering as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of his firstborn lambs from his flock. So Abel has presented a blood offering. The Lord accepted Abel, not just his gift. Notice the Lord accepted Abel because Abel brought a blood sacrifice. Okay? But he did not accept Cain 
and his gift, a grain offering. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry? So here's God's grace. You want to see God's grace? I see God's grace right here. He could have just said, okay, Cain, you're done. But he didn't, did he? Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain? Why are you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. So in other words, go bring another offering. Do it my way. Bring the blood. Make an animal sacrifice. You'll be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse, here's the story of man. But if you refuse to do what is right, watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. You can find the story of man in those six verses. Nothing but the blood will do. If you do what is right, it'll be accepted by your Creator. But watch out. Jesus describes it this way in John chapter 8. Jesus continued, You, you people, you are from below. I am from above. You belong to this world. I do not. That is why I said that you will. Here it comes. You will die in your sins. For unless you believe. It's by faith. Unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you'll die in your sins. Is this complicated? Is this complicated? It's not complicated. Unless you, unless we believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He says he's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. Unless you believe that he is who he says he is, what's the alternative? Unless you believe he is who he says he is, you're going to die in your sins. You're going to be unforgiven. You'll stand before God unforgiven. It's unpardonable. It's unrecoverable. You can't get over it. You can't get out of it. You're lost. If you die in your sin, that means you, you die a physical death. They put you in a box and put the box in the ground. Or you remain in your sin and Jesus comes back. You are lost forever. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But you've got to receive the truth. Not know about the truth. The truth, and only the truth, can set you forever free. The truth sets you free when you believe it, listen, and receive it by faith. But be very careful. Sin is crouching at your door, even now in this room. Sin is crouching at your door. I know for a fact there's two or three people in the early service, the first service, that have never accepted Christ. And I prayed for them by name. I don't know how many there are in the room that I don't know about. And I watched them during the invitation time, and they just wrestled, wrestled, wrestled. Sin is crouching at your door, and you must master it, or it will master you. And that person, those two persons never, never responded, did they? You must believe the truth. You must receive the truth. How do I receive the truth? Nothing but the blood of Jesus will forgive you. And you must be forgiven to be saved. Number five. What we believe in, why number five? 
the resurrection from the dead. Jesus literally and physically came out of the grave. Literally, physically, a man went in a grave, stood up, and walked out of a grave. Same guy. The blood of Jesus has the power to raise you from the dead. That song we sang, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in me. Same power. It's not another version of a power, not a junior version of the power. It's the same power. We visited the garden tomb on our last day in Israel just a couple weeks ago. In fact, here's a picture. I want to show it to you. This is our, some of our people going into what many believe is the tomb of, empty tomb of Jesus. In fact, if you could look kind of up above it and behind is what many people call Golgotha, the place of the skull where he was crucified. I'm not sure if it's the exact place or not. What's interesting to me is that there were people there in that place from every place on earth, every tribe and tongue and nation, and they're all coming there to see nothing. It's empty. Everybody goes in, turns around, says, yep, it's empty. It's empty. What'd you see? It's empty. What'd you see? It's empty. But that's the big event. Are you hearing me? No one's ever done that before. No one's ever done that before. When's the last time you ever went to a funeral and the person stood up and walked down? It doesn't happen. Trust me, you'd remember if you went to one and they did get up and walk out. It's empty. And the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. Listen, I believe this with all of my heart. You're not going to talk me out of it. There's no circumstances that are going to make me surrender this. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives inside of Terry Cooper. I have received the gift. I hold on to it as a treasure. And if he left the grave behind him, so will I. So will I. In Luke 24, let me read it to you. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body. They didn't find the body. They didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood they're puzzled. Two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who's alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and he would rise again on the third day. Then they remember that he had what he had said. I've heard it said that God demonstrated his great love for us on the cross. But I'll tell you, God demonstrated his great power in the resurrection. Power over death. If Jesus was just a man, son of man, how could he defeat death? Nobody can. No man can defeat death because death is Adam's curse. Jesus proved to us through the resurrection that he was everything he said he was. He is the son of God. He is not the son of Joseph. He is not the son of Adam. He is the son of God, and he has a power over the grave. The Bible says clearly that the penalty for sin is death, and we've all sinned. 
This was the truth from the beginning of mankind. Sin and death is a curse delivered by an enemy. It's an enemy. Sin and death is an enemy. Delivered from an enemy outside of our world. Satan is not from this world. He came from outside our world and he carried a package. Sin and death. And it was infected into Adam and Adam's seed. And everyone from Adam dies. But there is one who is not from Adam's seed. One. Genesis 2.16, but the Lord God warned him, warned Adam, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you will surely die. There were two voices in the garden of Eden. One of truth, one of a liar, false truth. Adam and Eve fell victim to the liar. And the liar and his false truth brought death to all mankind. And I'm going to tell you today, listen carefully. If you reject the real truth, you have received the lie. There will only be two choices. If you have rejected, there's two voices in the garden. There's two voices today. One's truth, one's a lie. If you reject the truth, you have received by default the lie. Believing the lie forfeited the tree of life. The same is true today. Which voice are you listening to in your garden journey? So let's take a short test. Here's the short test. Don't answer out loud, but I'm going to ask you, would you today be honest with yourself? Do you believe all scriptures from God? Genesis to Revelation. Do you believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the deity of Jesus? He is God in the flesh. Do you believe in the forgiveness of sins only, only through the blood of Christ? And do you believe Jesus rose from the dead, turned around and said two words to all mankind, follow me. You see, you don't almost believe these things. I'm telling you, you don't, nobody almost believes these things. You believe them or you don't believe them. If you believe, really believe those five truths. If, if you're in the room today and you really believe those five truths, you will follow Jesus Christ. Yes, you will. Yeah, you will. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's something interesting. Christians are the only people I know that sing songs in graveyards. It's kind of amazing if you think about it. The rest of the world looks at us like we're a little crazy. We go to a graveyard, we put somebody in a box and put the box in the ground, and then we all sit around and sing songs. Why? Because we believe in the resurrection. The one that rose from the dead has promised me that he will not leave me in the grave either. Did you hear me? He promised me. Listen to what King David said about our Lord a thousand years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Acts 2.25. King David said this about him. I see the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body, that's his physical flesh. My body rests in hope. 
For you will not leave my soul, you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One, the prophecy of the future Messiah, your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life and you will fill me with joy in your presence. He will not leave my soul in the grave. See, I believe that if I die a physical death, if I just, pow, drop dead sometime, I believe that in that moment when my last, last breath is breathed, my soul will not go to a tomb. My soul will go into the presence of God. King David said, you will not leave my soul in Sheol, in the grave. Now, my body might go in a box and that box will go in the ground somewhere, but that's not me. I'm the thing inside the body. And I'll go to be with the Lord waiting the resurrection of the last day when my soul will get a new body. Do you believe this stuff? You see, either you believe this stuff or not, and you can see that it totally changes your worldview. In John 11, I want to read to you Jesus' conversation with Martha after Lazarus had been in the grave for four days. John 11. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he'll rise when everyone rises at the last day. You notice that Martha, even then before Christ's crucifixion, she already knows there's going to be a resurrection on the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection. Oh, what a moment. Well, I know my brother's going to rise with the resurrection the last day, but that's not helping me today. My brother's dead today. I want him to rise today. If you'd have been here, it wouldn't have happened. But he crossed the red line, and nobody comes back from the red line. And Jesus says, I have erased the red line. There is no red line. I am the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. And everyone who lives in me and believes in me, here it comes, here it comes, will never die. It changes everything. And then he says, looks at Martha, and quite frankly, he's looking at everybody in this room today, and he says four words. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord. I do. I do. Do you? This is what we believe in why number five. Do you? Then why would you be afraid to die? Good question, isn't it? You see, this is fundamental. This is our foundation. This is what makes us sing. This is what makes us endure hardship and suffering. When we never give up and we never let go because we know that he has given us the greatest treasure, but we receive it by faith. It's not for sale. It's not for negotiation. I will not be a part of the falling away, and I will not be part of the apostasy, and I will not be a part of the rebellion. For it is this truth about the resurrection that makes me an overcomer and makes you an overcomer. You're not going to rise from the dead in your old body. You're going to get a new one to put your soul into. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. If that doesn't get a hallelujah, I don't know what to do with you. We are mortal. And we have received from God the promise of immortality. You will never die. Last one. 
which I'll tell you in advance is my favorite, the return of Christ. I have a question before I explain this final truth. Be truthful right now. Be truthful. Could you describe yourself as a person who's living in anxious expectation of the return of Jesus? Now, I know a bunch of you in this room would answer yes. Are you, be honest. Are you right now living in anxious expectation of the return of Christ? I, I got to tell you, I actually catch grief on this subject. I do. I, in fact, the top five things that people hate on me about, this is in the top five. I had a friend that I grew up with before I went into the ministry, came to church here years ago, and left the church. I followed up with him, said, what happened? What's going on? He says, you talk way too much about Jesus coming back. <laughs> you got me. You got me. What are you waiting for? What's your hope? You afraid he's going to come back and mess up your schedule, your plans, your agenda? And something's wrong. This is it. This is it. Yeah, I do. I talk a lot about this. Do you believe? Take it personally. I want to tell you how I read John 14. Okay, just tolerate me for a moment. This is how I read John 14, verses 2 and 3. Terry, this is from Jesus to me. Terry, there is more than enough room in my father's home for you. Terry, if it were not so, I would have told you. If it were not so, would I have told you I'm going to prepare a place for you, Terry? And Terry, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that, Terry, you will always be with me where I am. That's how I read that verse. Very personal. And you know what? I believe with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, that promise is mine. I have received it by faith. Today, my body, my soul lives in hope of the resurrection. Why? Because Jesus is coming back to get me. Now listen, there's two options that are applicable, and both of them have the same result. If I drop dead, put me in a box, put me in the ground, I can tell you what's going to happen. Them bones and bones and dry bones and bones and bones and dry bones and bones and bones and dry bones and bones going to rise again. My bones are going to rise. Now there's another option, and I'm going to tell you right now, it's the one I'm holding out for. Is there's going to be a loud shout, and there's going to be a voice of the archangel, and there's going to be a trumpet blast, and there's going to be a generation of believers on the earth that are not going to taste death. We're going to rise to meet the Lord in the air, and there we shall be with Him forevermore. But either way, doesn't matter. Either way, either way, either way. I will be with Him forever. I am free. I am free from sin. I am free from death. I am free from the fear of judgment and wrath of God. I am free. What did I do? I received it by faith. I believed it. Do you? Jesus is coming back. John 6, 53. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot have eternal life within you. 
And a few minutes ago, we took communion. We took the bread and we took the cup and we put them inside of us. He said, do this in remembrance of me so that you'll never forget what's inside of you that's changed you. Christ is in me. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is in me. It's resurrection power in me. It's in me. The bread of life, the blood of Christ in me. Is it in you? Notice what he says, verse 54. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise that person when? At the last day. It's a promise. People today say, yeah, 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 yeah. It's been 2,000 years. If he was going to return, he would have surely been here by now, right? I, I get this all the time. Come on, preacher. Come on, preacher. Second Peter. Peter prophesied that scoffers would be saying that in the last day. Peter says this, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth, number one. Are we there? Are we in those times? Mocking the truth and then following their own desires. Because when you mock this, you got to put something in its place following their own desires, and they will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. Are you a scoffer or a watcher? Which one? I'm a watcher. And I've noticed something. Watchers make scoffers nervous. You with me? Watchers make scoffers nervous. And here's my conclusion. You know why? Because the scoffers look at the watchers, and they always in the back of their mind say, what if he's right? What if it's true? So I got I to get that away from me, because that what if it's right, and what if it's true, starts doing something inside of you. It's called truth. Which one? Peter's prophesying about the condition of mankind at the end of days. What are they scoffing at? What are they mocking? Truth. In fact, if you read that same text, there are two specific things called out that the scoffers will mock in the last day. Truth, but based on that truth, two things. You know what they are? Number one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Go to any major university in the United States, and I'll ask you, will they be teaching those children, those students, the universities, they'll be adults, will they be teaching those adults, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth? No, they will not be. No, they will not be. You know, Peter says that's the condition of the last days. There's one more. He also says they will mock the judgment of God at the flood of Noah. Can you go to any, any university in America, major university, and they're teaching adults going through those higher education standards that God judged the world by means of a flood in the time of Noah? No. And I had a person come to me and said, you know, preacher, I, I believe in Jesus. I just don't believe in Noah and the flood. Well, you have a real problem because the problem is Jesus quotes Noah and the flood. In fact, he says that it will be as it was in the days of Noah when they didn't believe judgment was coming then either. But it will come. All Scripture is from God. Do you believe that's the truth? 
Or have you outgrown the truth? The American culture, academia, has outgrown the Bible. Oh, they're far too smart for the Bible. So in the beginning, God didn't create the heavens and the earth. It's chance, random processes, alien beings carried in ice crystals from other universes now. Because you've outgrown the Bible. I consider myself the opposite opposite of these prophetic mockers. You know why? If I were to be real honest, I would tell you today, I thought he'd be here by now. When my calling, when God the Holy Spirit put a calling upon my life to go into the ministry, I thought, well, I'll preach for a little while and then you'll come. We'll all get out of here. I had no idea that I'd still be here almost 20 years later. After all, it's been a long time. Let's be honest. It's a long time. In fact, when you usually say the word 2,000 years, it, it makes people's eyes cross because you can't, none of us can fathom 2,000 years. So let me put it a different way. 28 families have gone in front of us. 28 times 70 is 2,000 years. 28 generations of folks. We're a generation. There was a 27 other generations that have gone in front of us. Now it doesn't seem like such a long time, does it? 28 generations. And to God, it's only been two days. Using God's prophetic calendar, how he measures time, it's only been two days. He's not slow in keeping his promises. He's patient with us, not wanting anyone to be lost, but everyone to come to repentance. In fact, quite frankly, if he came last week, very likely there's somebody in this room today If you came last week, you might be lost. But today, his patience has opened another window of opportunity for you to find eternal life. Will you walk out today and not accept your gift? 2 Peter 3, 8, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. As some people think, no, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to what? Repent, turn around and face him. Today we live in a gracious wait a minute moment, but know this. Know this, Jesus is coming soon. He will come in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye. You will not be able to respond when he comes. It'll be too late. He will come to receive his bride, the church. And I'm asking you a question today. Are you ready for that event? Are you sure? Those who are not ready when Jesus comes for his bride will enter the great tribulation. Hell on the earth. And you didn't have to, but you will. During that seven years, the Bible says half of all the Gentiles will die on the earth. A third of all the Jews will die on the earth inside those seven years. Read it in Zechariah chapter 13. I know what the scoffers say on this final truth. I know, because I hear it. Preacher, y'all been preaching that for 2,000 years. But I got to tell you the truth today. No, that's not true. There is something today that changes everything. Do you want physical evidence of this sixth truth of what we believe and why, the return of Christ? I I today can give you physical evidence 71 years ago, 71 years ago on May 14th, 1948, the nation of Israel was reborn after 2,000 years of absence. 
The signs are everywhere that the return of Christ is near. Israel being one of those major signposts. Isaiah prophesied some 650 years before Christ. Here's what he said, Isaiah 66. Who has ever seen anything as strange as this? Who's ever heard of such a thing? Has a nation ever been born in a single day? Has a country ever come forth in a mere moment? But by the time Jerusalem's birth pains begin, her children will be born. Now, that's not even the biggest one. The biggest one is their rebirth in 1948. But in 1967, in my generation, I'm, I was alive in 1967. The Arab nations surrounded Israel to overthrow her. But Israel defeated them in a supernatural, miraculous six-day war. In that six-day war, Israel not only repelled the enemy invasion, they took possession of the Gaza Strip from Egypt, the West Bank of the Jordan River from Jordan, and they also secured what is now known as East Jerusalem, the Temple Mount, Mount Moriah, the place where Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice, the place where Solomon built the Holy Temple. Coincidence? Israel is a land 75 miles wide, 300 miles long. Israel would fit inside the United States 768 times. It is one-nineteenth the size of California. It can fit into Florida seven times. Why is it so important? How can I look at the events in Israel, specifically Jerusalem, and know the return of Christ is near? I'll tell you why. Because all scriptures God's breathed. And here's what the word says, Psalms 132. For the Lord has chosen Jerusalem. He has desired it for his home. This is my resting place. How long? How long? Forever. He said, I will live here, for this is the home I desired. Something's happening in our generation. So while we've been preaching Jesus is coming for 2,000 years, for the last 52 years, something is remarkably different. Jerusalem is inside of Israel. They're preparing to rebuild a temple. Something's different. If you believe truth number six is certain, Jesus is coming back, where do you think he's coming back to? Can your eyes see and believe the signs that are all around us? Well, try this one, Zechariah chapter 8. Then another message came to me from the Lord of Heaven's armies. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. My love for Mount Zion is passionate and strong. I am consumed with passion for Jerusalem. And now the Lord says, I am returning to Mount Zion, and I will live in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city. The mountain of the Lord of Heaven's armies will be called the holy mountain. I'm going to say it again. Israel took Jerusalem in my lifetime. I'm living in this generation. 52 years ago, Zechariah 8.23, listen to this. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says in those days when Jesus returns. Ten men from different nations and languages of the world will clutch the sleeve of one Jew. And they will say, please, let us walk with you for we have heard 
that God is with you. There you go. All Scripture is God-breathed. It is our single source of absolute truth and authority. Jesus was born of a virgin. He is the Son of Man and the Son of God. Jesus is divine. He is God with skin on Him. Forgiveness can only be obtained by the blood of Christ, and you cannot be saved without being forgiven. Jesus rose from the dead. He left the grave behind Him, and so will those who belong to Him. And finally, Jesus is coming back, first for His bride, and then to reign a thousand years on this earth. And then after that, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, descending as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And now the dwelling place of God is with man forever. You know the future. All six of these foundational truths of Christianity are under attack in our culture. That part doesn't necessarily surprise me, but they are also under attack in the church. We are living. I believe we are living. I'm going to make it clear. I believe we are the generation living in the time of the great rebellion against God prophesied by the Apostle Paul. We are watching the rebellion, the apostasy, the falling away from God's truth. Let me prove it to you. One last thing. George Barna did a research. He does a lot of church research. And he did a research, not in the outside world, but inside the American Evangelical Church, which is what we claim to be, Bible-believing church. And here's what he found. You tell me if the church is falling away from the truth. Inside the church, 19% are living with a partner outside of marriage. Inside the church, 37% of church people do not believe the Bible is totally accurate. 45% of church people do not believe Jesus was sinless. 52% of church people do not believe Satan is real. 57% do not believe Jesus is the only way to eternal life. You have to decide what you're going to hold as truth. You're not going to decide for me, and I'm not going to decide for you. But I can read those statistics and tell you there is a great rebellion against the truth of God's Word coming from inside the church, not outside. What we believe and why, the rest is up to you. But I've got one final question. What's at stake here? It's life and death. It's heaven and hell. There was a time late in Jesus' ministry when many of his followers started to walk away from Jesus because his teaching seemed so exclusive, so absolute, so serious. And after the crowd walked away, Jesus turns to his 12 and he asked them if they were leaving too. And Peter answered for the other 12, for the other 11, and he answers for me today. Listen, he answers for Terry Cooper today. And here's what he says, John 6, 6, 6. Interesting number. At this point, many of Jesus' disciples turned away and deserted him. 
Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you also going to leave? And Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. I'm going to ask you a question, church. If you turn away from this, I have outlined six foundational truths of Scripture. If you turn away from this, if you turn away from this, I'm going to ask you, where are you going? You abandon this. Where are you going to go? See, I believe that if you believed that you were lost and Jesus had the power to save you, I believe you'd believe in Jesus. I'm going to ask Chad to come on out. I'll say it one more time a little slower. I'm a practical guy. I'm convinced that if those six things are your reality, you'll follow Christ. I believe that if you believed you were lost and Jesus had the power to save you, I believe that you'd believe in Jesus. Yeah, I do. So I'm telling the church right now, be prepared for the apostasy. Be prepared for the rebellion. Be prepared for the falling away. It's happening in church after church after church after church. The abandonment of Scripture. And replacing the truth with man's opinions and clever 20-minute stories of feel-good marshmallow cream. But there's a truth that sets people free. But only the truth does it. So today, I'm going to pray. And we're going to offer an invitation. And if you, if you are not under the blood of Christ... You have not received the free gift of eternal life. And you turn and walk out that door. Maybe it's your pride. You don't, you don't, you're worried about what somebody else is going to think. You have rejected life. Life. You rejected it. A gift, a free gift. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would open our eyes, our ears, our hearts. That you would do only what you can do. No one can come to the Son unless the Father draws. So, Lord, I pray that you would draw people today. If there's anyone here that does not know you, has not confessed you, received this gift of eternal life, they would come today and receive it. May the Holy Spirit do the power. Let the wind blow. Let the fire burn in Jesus' name. Amen. The invitation is now open.